And I know I just spent an entire episode talking about like, well, I could fire you at any moment. But th that's... <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Work in Progress podcast. Last time we talked a little bit about what happens when the job doesn't quite meet your expectations. Well, we had some curious audience members who decided to write in and ask, what happens when the script is flipped? What happens when you hire someone and they're not quite what you expected? We're going to be talking about that today. My name is Min and I've got Alan here as well. Hey, let's jump into it. So I, I'd like to, to point out uh, the fact that we actually got feedback. <laughs> That's always a good sign. <laughs> Someone out there is listening. <laughs> Love it. Thank you. Uh, I, I do want to just say thank you for everyone that does uh, give us a listen and and takes the uh, takes the courage to write in, you know, and, and let us know your thoughts. Um, yeah, I just want to say thank you. Yeah, I let's, think it's really really cool. So yeah, let's let's get into it. Um, yeah, you know, like like you mentioned, uh, you know, if when, when you get hired, you know, you have expectations from your employer. Um, a couple things come to mind is how do you know if you're meeting those expectations up front? I feel like we talked about this way long ago, but, but two, what happens if you truly don't meet those expectations? Like what, what, as a hiring manager, as a team member, what do you do? Because, you know, you're obviously hired to help speed up or facilitate some additional work that needs to be done that the existing team didn't have the capacity for, you know, like, as as a team member, as a manager, how do you handle that? Do you do you do you level them up to get them to where they need? Because that's a a time investment from not just the company, oh, yeah, <laughs> but the team as well. Or do you cut your losses and you know go through the entire hiring process again? Mm -hmm. Because that is also going to put a strain on your team. Absolutely, you know. And when I uh, when I first saw this uh, question, this this piece of feedback, I. I got it got me thinking in a lot of different directions. I think that it's natural for us, especially us who are a little more prone to imposter syndrome, maybe. It's very, very common for us to jump straight to the what if I'm just not performing? Right. Mm -hmm. That's that's the most uh, uh I would say probably prevalent uh, <laughs> uh, question in a lot of people's minds. I want to just take a second and point out that there are a lot of other situations and and I just want to highlight a couple of them right because sometimes when things aren't feeling like they're working out it's not always performance based in fact I would argue from just the situations I've experienced and dealt with and been a part of performance is actually the minority of those cases so here's just a couple off the top of my head um the company, the company that actually created this and this uh, extra headcount and hired you on, they didn't really realize what they wanted. 
maybe they looked at a team that was struggling to deliver and they thought, let's throw more chefs into this kitchen, right? That's a super common situation. Mm-hmm. You, like, as I'm saying that you're smiling right now, like you, you know that happens. You got to find those resources. <laughs> yeah, you got to find those resources. And let's just keep piling them on, right? Mm-hmm. On the flip side, there's situations where uh, it just wasn't what anybody expected, right? Um, job descriptions all, almost, I mean, a lot of times job descriptions just don't line up with reality when you join, right? Uh, people paint the rosier side of a lot of situations on both sides, candidates and companies, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you join, suddenly you're like, oh, I, this isn't, what I was expecting out of that. Like, I didn't know that this is what you meant by, you know, collaborating all the time. Like maybe you, maybe you sign up for a place that talks a lot about collaboration and you realize that means pair programming a hundred percent of the time mm-hmm. that, you know, that, that would be a, one of those examples that it's like, Oh, eh. I know that's a little bit of a contrived example and probably could yeah. <laughs> ask some good questions to figure that out. But still, right. Yeah, I just I, I just wanted to bring up there are other situations where performance is not necessarily the issue. Yeah, and you know some some of these things you could probably suss out uh, during the interview process by asking the company what these questions are, or vice versa. Right. Um, I think in this case where we're trying to examine the situation from the company side, hiring uh, someone who may not meet expectations. But yeah, um, to that point, like. Like I mentioned, you can suss a lot of that out right. from from the interview. Like, how how does this person view collaboration? Are they okay with a hundred percent pairing? Uh, mm-hmm. To to your example, um, but you know, you ask these questions, but you also run into these candidates who are like, "Oh yeah, I'm, I'm completely cool with that. That's what I did three right. years ago, and I was fine with it." <laughs> um, but when they get there, they're you know throwing a building on that example it's like oh now they're they're giving excuses for why they can't pair sure yeah for a large chunk of time which defeats the whole point of the culture that the company's trying to build where yeah collaborative does mean pairing 100% of the time like right? you know I'll, I'll throw out a, I'll throw out the classic one that I think I hear all the time because I think it's just almost become like a trope at this point uh or like a meme at this point almost everyone that you interview will will agree with the statement yeah i don't like assholes i don't want to work with assholes (laughs) right almost everyone will say that and unfortunately there's a lot of people out there that don't quite realize the way they act it's asshole-ish right right and so that's another example of like and and that's a that's an awareness problem right like they probably (laughs) don't think they're an asshole and yet it's in these situations that's how they that's how it feels to work with them right um i mean yeah building on that like going back to radical candor the the book having coworkers who can just be straight with you or straight with their managers and be like hey yeah that guy is totally an asshole we should do something about it yes and then that manager needs to go i think it's the manager's role to mediate these things and yeah figure out solutions to them right um the the manager needs to be radically candor too and be like hey like these behaviors that you're doing these specific Mm -hmm. examples they need to stop yeah and honestly this is probably one of the hardest 
attributes to learn or skills to learn as a manager, you always want to be accommodating of people, but there's a very fine line between that and essentially normalizing deviant behavior, mm-hmm. you know, and that line is is so very thin, but really, really talented managers find that. And, and not just managers, but coaches and anyone who's interested in, in growth, period, right? Because that's the line that finds critical feedback and gives it, even in a positive situation. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's really, really easy because it's, it's in human nature, broadly speaking. It's in human nature to avoid uh, conflict, right? Mm-hmm. But especially when you have someone new who's starting, you need need to really strengthen that muscle to be able to pick out a very specific thing, target that, and and explain why that particular behavior isn't acceptable, right? Yep. And I know I'm coming off very harsh in saying that, like that behavior is not acceptable. I know I'm coming across harsh there, but that's kind of how you have to approach it because you need to be crystal clear as a manager, that that behavior is not something that that can continue, right? Mm-hmm. I, I want to make the distinction here. Uh, a behavior might be terrible. Person is not. Right. And I, exactly. I, I think, my, myself included, and I know others are, are like this, I think this is just how we've grown to be, but any criticism on our actions, we take it as, oh, we're terrible people yeah separate yourself from your behaviors and you know you you could be the well most well-meaning person in the world but you might have certain behaviors that don't really work well with other people um and just being cognizant that you know these small behaviors aren't reflective of who you are as a person or who you want to be as a person so take take that criticism and iterate on it just like you would with software <laughs> right exactly and and i love that i i think that that is a one of like the you know i, I sometimes i think about like just management in general and and some of it really comes down to uh help especially when you're managing just younger people um i think a lot of it really does come down to growing people from a maturity standpoint and a lot of that helps helps them in 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 their entire lives, you know? And and there's actually a really rewarding part of that. There's also a very frustrating part of that, right? Because mm-hmm. it's like it, I guess frustrating is not quite the right word there, but there is an element that's um that's easily missed, I guess. What do I mean by that is just that You've gone through a lot of this growing up yourself. You have learned a lot of these things, and uh, they're a little—they're—they're they're more second nature to you. And you might be introducing some of this self-awareness to to uh, certain people that you work with for the very first time. This might be the very first time they're hearing it, and it might be hard for mm-hmm. them to grok. Grok. <laughs> yeah, I, and like, it's. 
and here's the difficult part. And here's here's why we we even started this podcast, exploring the human side of software engineering, is that it's not always straightforward. The same things that might apply for one person is not going to apply for the next person. So you might have corrected your behavior for you know a group of individuals. You start a new job, and now you need to refit. You need to figure out where their boundaries are now and right. what behaviors are okay with them and what aren't. Um, yeah. And and this is why, this is why you know Min and I have all uh, have advocated this entire time that you know the hardest part of software development is people. Yeah, it's not the code; it's people, <laughs> right? Because like at the end of the day, there's going to be a million tutorials out there, and while the quality might uh, might differ a little bit here and there, uh, generally speaking, if the tutorial shows a working product at the end of it, you know you can trust it, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas with a lot of the other pieces of software engineering, it's it's much more uh, fuzzy, right? Yep. It's much more fuzzy. Like there's there's not a there's not a single book out there that you could necessarily read that will tell you de facto whether or not you have a quote unquote good team, right? Mm-hmm. It might help you assess factors that help you figure out if it's working or not if your team is working or not but ultimately yeah it's not going to be something there's not going to book a book out there that just says this team of this company good you know Mm -hmm. Mm, they they might have strong technical (laughs) skills but how do they how do they interact with each other do do they i hate to sound um what's the word cliche but do they lift each other up right yeah Um, yeah exactly and that, that that's the hard part of building a team. There's there's only so much of a person's personality you can gauge in an interview, mm-hmm. uh, especially uh, you know one on one interviews. Like there, there's the whole point of the on site is how do they right. interact with everyone else that they're going to be working with, and and even then that's just a small window of the the interactions that they'll have, right? Day to day over time, those interactions build up and. You'll you'll only start seeing the picture, uh, right after months. There's just not enough scenarios that you could build into a single interview process without making it also exhaustively painful, uh, <laughs> and you know you lose some authenticity with that. But like, there's just not enough time and space in in any kind of interview format to give all of those different scenarios. You know, mm-hmm. and, and and that actually gets me to sort of a, a, a kind of a good point to make here um oftentimes when we're thinking about like what happens when the employee isn't what we expected we're sort of viewing it through this lens of like a team ad sometimes other places will use the term culture ad you know Mm -hmm. but it's this essentially the idea is uh, is just that whoever you bring in it should be an overall ad to the team right and we're, I, I hope it's becoming kind of obvious that there's a lot of different reasons why that just might not be. And so I think, you know, to kind of uh, shift gears a, t- a bit, what happens and what do you do when that situation comes up? First of all, just as a manager, I will tell you that if you are a member of this team in any capacity whatsoever, your feedback is valuable. Your feedback regarding uh, a new hire is incredibly valuable. 
I know it might be uncomfortable and it might not be something that you're used to having to provide, but you know, anyone listening out there, I would implore you to build up that skill, build up that muscle and find how you can deliver critical feedback without being overly negative, you know? Maybe it's just the way you worded that, but harsh, maybe I uh, harsh. I don't deliver critical feedback without making it personal. Ah, that's the better. Oh, well done. Well done. Yes, I, I agree with that because 100%. Some, some, sometimes the truth that needs to be said can be harsh. Yes. Without being an attack on any individual. We're just going to edit up all the way to that point that you said it because I 100% agree. I, I, I think, honestly, that captured it better than I, I, I did. So, yes, that's and, I love it. And that's that's one of the things, I keep going back to Radical Candor, that they, they ex, the, the book explicitly expresses is to be crystal clear is that you're not trying to attack the person because mm-hmm. when, when you come off as attacking the person, their defenses go up, they won't hear what you're trying to say. Yeah. They won't hear how they need to grow to be to 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 become a better version of themselves. Yeah. And the moment that they enter a defensive state, they're going to potentially lash back out at you, at their teammates, at whoever knows what. But it be, it then becomes this, especially with specific personalities, it could become a, a very uh snowbally negative feedback <laughs> cycle right yeah yeah and so absolutely being cognizant of how you're delivering feedback don't make it uh personal attacks i'm trying to think of an example off the top of my head uh so i've i've, I've got a really good framework that i've uh yes it's a, one of those that you learn in in management classes and whatnot <laughs> and trainings but but i really do think it is it's it's a good framework and and it uh honestly it's helped me a lot you know it's a very simple one it's just called situation behavior and impact and and that's exactly how you deliver any kind of feedback you ever have situation is literally just the context behavior is literally what they did and then impact is describe the impact so it's helped me to deliver critical feedback in the most neutral way possible no personalities involved it's just stating this was the context this was the the situation we were in this is literally what happened or this is literally what the a person did and this is the impact that it had you know Mm -hmm. i'll use myself as as an example right um we had a team meeting scheduled for 9 a.m i'm making this up on the spot (laughs) we had a team meeting scheduled for 9 a.m behavior when i didn't show up at 9 a.m sharp impact it made the entire team have to wait on me just to start the meeting right Mm -hmm. nothing personal about it literally just the context literally what what happened and then the impact that it had and what i find as a manager is like as i'm talking to people about this it helps train up that empathy muscle as well you know Hmm. Because you can see the impact, and then every person gets to decide: was that impact? Is that important? Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. It seems simple. 
it, I, it, I it is. It seems a lot simpler than it is to actually do in practice. And I, I get was, it. I was going to say, I imagine it can it can be a, a little difficult to practice, um, especially in the moment. Yes. <laughs> especially if you're on the receiving end. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I've, I've had a lot of meetings. Um, they also they also, you know, train you to be uh, timely about this feedback, right? Because you have to do it. You have to do it relatively uh, soon after it happens. Otherwise, people lose the context, right? People forget the situation. And so oftentimes, uh, the best is to do it right after you notice it happening, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Immediately following a meeting, when something terse uh, happens. Yeah, you have have to do that. And this is why, again, kind of circling back to that concept or or that idea uh, that we talked about at the beginning, when someone joins that's not sort of meeting expectations, you have to address it immediately, right? You can't wait 30 days, 60 days, 90 days for them to have forgotten, for it to have normalized, and for them to suddenly start fighting against the situation that you're describing and the behavior that you saw, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. You're going to be like, no, I didn't go like that. Yeah, yeah, course correct as soon as possible. Um, I think that's important. Um, so, I've I've heard anecdotal stories. I guess that's what an anecdote <laughs> is. Sorry for the redundancy. Um, I've heard anecdotes of companies who will retain you, like they will hire you, you'll stay on, but your, I guess your evaluation period is like thirty to sixty days. Yeah. And then from that point, they'll decide whether to keep you or get rid of you. Yeah. I I don't know if that's common in, in, in smaller companies. I, I imagine for large companies, they have a little bit more bandwidth to um, be flexible with that. Ha- have you seen that happen before? On the broad scale, I'm going to say that I've seen, I, I feel like it's a mix at all levels. Um here's so when you're really really small let's say you're less than a 50 person company every hire matters so much and i've seen both companies at that level who's like on on the one hand they're afraid right to have to go through and do this expensive hiring process and they're afraid to sort of admit that they made a mistake right And then I've also seen companies who take it so seriously because they're like, we cannot poison the team that we have with a a hire that doesn't uh, add to that. Therefore, we will make very sudden, drastic um, hiring decisions like that. You know, bring someone on, try them out and realize they're not working, cut them immediately. I know it sounds really brutal and it sounds really cruel, but... I think in a lot of ways, it's actually much more cruel to have someone follow along for an extended amount of time for it to still not be working out and ultimately for you to arrive at the very same situation, you know? Mm -hmm. And then on the flip side, large companies, um, I, I would probably wager that large companies are a little bit more on the, like, I, I mean, like the super large companies they're a little bit more on the um, never fire anybody <laughs> scale. Um, but there are a few that do have those those practices. And, and it's to kind of build in this idea, right? Mm. 
I think one of the biggest challenges when you get larger and larger as a company is to retain the processes and, and um, mentalities that have contributed to your quality over the years. And so sometimes one of the their reactions is to in, institute a policy like this, right? Right. Um, right. And and that's that's not it's. Yeah, you know, I, overall, I don't know if I could say if it's common, not common. I feel like I've seen it all at all of those levels. Right. Yeah. I I haven't personally experienced it myself, or it's it's <laughs> hidden from me because they're <laughs> secretly evaluating me. I don't know, but I mean, so at least from from an engineering perspective, from from the I'm I've been hired, right? Mm-hmm. I'm. I know I'm being evaluated. That's the whole point of I'm, I'm constantly being evaluated because right. just got to keep an eye on your team. Um, one thing I think we've previously talked about is how, how, how do I know I'm doing enough and that, mm. you know, I'm not immediately on the chopping block within sure. the first 30 days. I mean, that's, like my my own personality like in any new role that i find myself in i like to literally ask that question am i doing am i meeting your expectations are there any expectations you have of me i don't care if it's role or 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 otherwise are there any expectations you have of me that i'm not meeting i literally will ask any of my bosses all of my bosses that (laughs) <laughs> and it's just i've i feel like i've just learned that that's the fastest way for me to get mm-hmm. to that understanding and i i just don't like living uh working in a role or or to where that's not clear you know right right I, that's fair i i think the hard part here is imposter syndrome again yeah it, it keeps cropping up no matter yeah. where you go um you might get as much feedback from everyone around you that says you're doing great mm-hmm. that you're you're exceeding expectations you still don't feel good <laughs> yeah no i i get that <laughs> but i i think you know we we kind of talked about that in in our our other episodes so i, I want to go back to the company's perspective here you know, like what, what I want to be specific here. You know, what, what are some of the costs of keeping someone on and trying to course correct them? Like how long do you do? How, how long do you keep trying to course correct them? Oh yeah. Especially I, if, you know, they do show signs of some minor improvement, but maybe not yeah. enough to really, I, I'll, I'll, I'll just stop right there. Like they're showing some improvement. They are showing some. Yeah, this this is a this is a really really tough one, um, and uh, and yeah, you know what? Like, it all boils down to the same question. You know, at the end of the day, it all it, it all sort of swirls around the same thing, and and whether they're improving fast or or slowly or or whatever, you're sort of still left in that that. You're, you're, you're left asking yourself that question, right? You're like, look, I know this person is underperforming now, right now. They're dragging the team down and I can see it on everybody's faces 
and they're looking at me to do something, you know? That happens a lot. My honest answer to it is you have to do what's good for the team. You have to do what's good for the team. And something that I sort of learned through experience with this is that as I got to work closer and closer with my team, I found that it gave me the strength when I needed to make those decisions. Because I could look at four, five, six individuals who truly, who I felt truly trusted me. And I could look at their day-to-day getting worse, right? Or, or their, the quality of their day-to-day suffering for a mistake that I made, right? Mm-hmm. And that ultimately gave me a lot of strength I needed to say, I have to make this better for them because they're trusting me. And while it does suck for that one person that I made the wrong call on, right? I sort of do believe in that notion that you have to free someone someone up to succeed elsewhere. Right. Like, I I know people are going to hear that and they they might say, oh my God, that's such corporate Kool-Aid and that's, (laughs) you know, nonsense there. But I can keep you chained to this situation that's not working out for anybody like you know we talk about imposter syndrome imagine if everything that you actually thought and felt from imposter syndrome was real right you (laughs) literally are underperforming you literally are not doing enough not moving fast enough imagine how that feels right actually you're describing imposter syndrome you don't need to pretend to right (laughs) right know how that feels yeah. And- Imagine if that's the reality. Oh my goodness. You have like as it's- a manager you have the power to free them from that. So. Mhm. Mm-hmm. And I think this echoes back to something I've mentioned previously. I don't know if it was it was on a a podcast episode or just between us, but um sometimes it really just isn't a good fit. Mhm. And- that that can change over time that doesn't have to be upon hiring yeah um recognizing when it's not a good fit helps both parties yeah right like there there's no benefit to keeping a i don't want to say toxic but a an unhealthy relationship right you know and really I'm not, I'm not talking about you know uh, spouses or anything. <laughs> I mean, it's it still applies there. Yeah, but, I think it still applies. But to, to... your relationship with your employer, it, it applies there too. Like, mm-hmm. it, it applies. It, it doesn't help anyone because if you're unmotivated to do the work because you're, I don't know, you feel like you're underperforming, you are underperforming, It's it becomes an, an, this whole negative feedback cycle where it's just like, I'm not, you tell yourself you're not good enough, you won't be good enough. Your employer doesn't think much of you. They won't give you more work to prove yourself. They have right. low expectations of you. That makes you feel even worse. But then you start resenting your employer for not trusting you, for not giving you more opportunities. And, you know, it's just completely all downhill. Yeah. Um, there really is no, like, turning that around, you know? Yeah. 
And, and, you know, I do want to touch on something really quickly because you brought it up. Like, what if there are signs of improvement? How do you kind of think through that? And how do you sort of grok that? Mm -hmm. Honestly, it's, it's where you want to be at the end of the day, right? Like six months from now, imagine telling uh, a a group of people that really trusted you, Hey, I know this is going to suck for a while, but six months from now, it'll be good. I promise (laughs) six months half a year it's a long right? time i know there's so many people who've convinced themselves to stay at a job for six more months right mm-hmm. that's a long time that's a lot of change that can happen and especially in the tech industry that's a lot right mm-hmm. and so again it boils down to that like sure there's improvement but do you think it's going to be in a good place in six months mm-hmm. do you think it's going to be in a good place in three months And here's a tip for managers. If you need it to be in a good spot in one month, 30 days, or two, 60, then that's what you can set as your bar. Mm -hmm. And you need to be clear with the underperform or the person not fitting expectations. You need to be clear that that's where they have to get to. Otherwise, the cost is too great for your team. The cost is too great for whatever it is that you have going on. And I think you know where the, <laughs> where my answer is going to go from there, right? Yeah, yeah. I think one one of the um, one of the calls you have to make as a manager, I imagine, is looking at the the al- alternate route here. Let them go immediately. Start the rehire process. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, the time that you take to try to give them to change behaviors to to s- start meeting expectations, you could potentially bring in a new hire that might right hit those expectations from the get go. Right. the The downside, though, is now you gotta take up time from your team to interview. You gotta you gotta make a bet on another person. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's inherent risk there. You could end up with someone else who underperforms, who just doesn't fit. I think that, generally speaking, that fear is is true. Um, I I am always a little nervous about overtaxing my own team in terms of interviews because that can be really really exhausting. And depending on personalities too, just meeting a lot of strangers and talking to them ad nauseum is like that's not everyone's idea of energizing you know right um and i i do want to say though when it comes to those situations you really want to think critically about what signs you missed like how could i have figured how could i have learned what i needed to about this person earlier Mm -hmm. right and that's how you get a a very fluid and evolving process right yeah this is why uh, honestly i get that there's a there's a very strong hr practice out there broadly where it's like you you must uh you must ask the same questions to every candidate out of fairness i understand that but there is a very real reason why like i want flexibility in my process to be able to see where the conversation goes and it's Mm -hmm. for this exact reason yeah i do not want to treat every person as the same because i will be making the same exact mistakes every single time yeah 
And I, that's not, that's not something I'm willing to, to do for my team. You know? Yeah. I would and... tell them, go find a new manager. Cause I'm not, <laughs> I don't deserve you guys. <laughs> right. Or, or you take them with you. I don't know. <laughs> um, I mean, so yeah, that's yeah. Okay. So, so now, Oh, here's, here's a good one. So now sure. they, you've hired them on, they've, mm-hmm. they've done well, right? Let's let's assume they've they've done well. They've met expectations. Mm-hmm. A year down the line, they start struggling with 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 life. Something happens in life. They start oh, underperforming, yeah. and they just can't come back from it. Yeah, like there's there's yeah. just something outside of work that's just constantly pressuring them, and it's showing up in work. And my question to you is, where do you draw the line between being empathetic to their situation? Mm-hmm. Or needing to really tell them you need to shape up. I, I uh, normally for things like this, I always tend to draw it towards the team. This is why um, in in any of the teams that I've ever run, I I put a very heavy emphasis on that. At the end of the day, I'm really not your boss. Like I, yes, I am on paper, and you know, I I, I make sure you get paid and all of that. But you're not really beholden to me. And I know I just spent an entire episode talking about like, well, I could fire you at any moment, but th- that's, <laughs> but, but uh, completely honestly, like when things are going good, you are not beholden to me. I really, really believe that because the people that you're going to be interacting with and the people that you're going to be working with really on a day-to-day basis and making sure great things happen, that's your team. That's not me. And, and so this in situations like this, I actually encourage them to take it to the team and to be completely upfront with the team about it. Um, I, I know like some HR people might be like losing their minds right now, but I'd be like, no, take that to the team. If it makes me uncomfortable, meh, doesn't matter. Meh. If your life situation is causing a degradation, the first people you should be asking about impact is your team, in my opinion. Ask them, is this something that's really causing you guys undue stress? Nine times out of ten, it probably is in some way, shape, or form. Is that acceptable? Is that okay? Is that something that the team is willing to put their necks on the line a little bit and help out one of their own? If they make it through a situation like that, what I've seen is it creates a many times more powerful team. Mm-hmm. You know, one that really trusts each other, not just with their careers and their jobs, but with their lives. And and that's not something that you're going to find just willy-nilly, right? Yeah. And then there's also going to be the times where the team is like, actually, this is really, this is like a really big struggle. Yeah. Right. And the hope is, again, because it's the team coming to them, the individual, that they can make the call, okay, you know what? You're right. This is too much, and I'm causing too much stress here. I will either remediate the situation or remove myself from it, right? It takes a lot of, a high level of personal accountability. Yeah, it does. It really, really does. I, I guess that's what that's something you would want to to what's cultivate something you want to search for in a candidate, right? 
I mean, yeah, that yes, is true. You, you can cultivate <laughs> it, but you know, if you can get it out of the gate, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. So, so one thing I'm I'm noticing here through through all my talks with you through, you know, on and off air, is you have a very hands off approach to people, like you you let Generally. them you you the 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 dream is to let them self manage themselves, mostly yeah. And the only times that you step in personally is when either the team can't agree or they may not they they, they may may not have the capacity to say, hey, we need your help. Sure. I, I, I think that broadly speaking that's that's correct. Here's here's how I kind of draw that distinction. Uh, just just sort of simply, I like to think of myself as being able to provide direction. You know, I can point us to the North Star and I can point us to where success lies and where happiness lies and where the business will will shower you with uh, with praise, money and God knows what else. Right. <laughs> That's my job. I don't engineer anymore. Eh, kind of sort of. I don't engineer anymore. Right. I don't build these solutions, and at the end of the day, I don't know what's best for them. I know directionally where the business wants these this software to go, but ultimately, you are the most capable of actually creating that, right? Mm-hmm. So I should do everything in my power to stay out of your way and to give you that freedom. Now, there's going to be times where you're not sure what the direction should be right that's where i can step in and i can say we need a little bit more stability actually this is one of those times deadlines matter more mm-hmm. getting it out early and learning from it matters more than getting it perfect and and you know making it not embarrassing looking code <laughs> that's right. that's where i can provide and and then i think like the rest of it is really paying attention to how your people want to grow and, and again, providing them direction and support for that. So yeah, I, I am pretty, I tend to be pretty hands-off. And what I've noticed is as long as you can point people towards the right path that they should be sort of walking on, their own skills will, will deliver good things. And, and they will learn to deliver better things, right? Because you can point them to what better looks like. Right. Hmm. Also, just don't hire super lazy, super, like, <laughs> unmotivated. <laughs> that's, a whole, that's a whole other topic, like, sussing that out and everything. But, yeah. That, that's when you get them to quit their job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This has been a really, really interesting topic. I think, like, um, uh, you know, it's nuanced like everything else. And and there's a lot of times where, you know, I think people are just worried about this. Like, oh, my God, am I not living up to the company's expectations? What does happen? And and I, you know, just really, really quickly, because I, I have a feeling it might be relevant to some folks. Um, when it's an actual matter of performance, there's there's really only one thing that happens and and you will know it a manager will come and talk to you about your performance literally because (laughs) 
if you work for a company that doesn't care about performance, no one will come talk to you and it doesn't matter how badly you feel that you're performing. It's just like, that's just you and your guilt and you're going to live with that, right? That's it. If the company doesn't care, they will not talk to you and they're going to coast. Being completely honest, you're going to coast, no one's going to know and you're just going to collect paychecks. That literally happens in this industry. True story. It's insane. I've seen it. (laughs) (laughs) If they actually do care about your performance, someone will come talk to you about your performance. Mm -hmm. Because here's the deal. You cannot get fired on the basis of performance without a very long tail of documentation proving such. And so, if that's an issue... That's how it goes. If you get fired or if you if you separate jobs for any other reason, there's <laughs> other reasons at play, okay? We, we won't <laughs> it's go not into performance. It. We won't go into it. We won't go into <laughs> it. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, know I'm, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get flamed for this one because I feel like people are gonna <laughs> like chime in with all sorts of different stories about how their situation was unfair. I don't want to take any of that away. Just FYI, I don't want to take any of that away from from anyone. Uh, I know there's a lot of unfair situations out there. Um, it, I would also say it's not fun going through life expecting unfairness everywhere. <laughs> hey, you know, if, if, if anyone out there wants us to do a case study on your unfair situation, we would love to hear it. Ooh, yeah. I would. That would be fun. I actually, yeah, I would love to dissect that. That, that would require people to actually listen and send us things. <laughs> we, we've, we've got, I don't know. I don't know what the numbers are now, but <laughs> no, no, seriously. If, if, if you have, if you think you were treated unfairly on, on the job, let us know. Like, I, I, I think we'd be both be happy to talk about it. <laughs>